Would you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6? That was, that was an entirely appropriate response to that song. You know, there are times when, when we get through singing a song and we want to give our thanks to the Lord. Sometimes we, we clap, but where there are times when what is appropriate is to just reflect and to be still and quiet. And so that was a beautiful response to that song. Peace, peace, peace. Three times in that choir song, they they said those words, peace. We just got back from the group of us from the Holy Land on Thursday night and in Israel, the greeting to one another is shalom, which means peace. And you start understanding quickly as you tour the country that that is an entirely appropriate greeting, and it's because it has been a land of conflict for so long. Every single place that you go, you understand there's been conflict whether it was, and in, in, in folks, I'm talking about literally for thousands of years, conflict and battle and war, whether it was the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Romans, or then later in modern history, the Nazi Germans, what, whatever it was, to, to where now today they're bordered by Syria and Lebanon and Jordan, that this is a country that is constantly going through conflict. And we could say, well, what's behind that is you've got governments and militants. See, we could point to things like that. Well, there's a government and there's a, a military and there's just politics going on or there's a particular people. And so if there was a different people that were there, no, 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 no. Folks, what Paul has been teaching us in Ephesians chapter 6 is that the battle is not with flesh and blood. The battle is with principalities, and powers, that there are dark spiritual forces, there is Satan who is behind all this. And isn't it interesting that whenever we we talk about Satan, a lot of times you'll hear people say, yeah, well, you know, I don't really believe in that. And yet we use phrases like, if someone's going through a difficult time, we say, well, they're wrestling with some of their own personal demons. And we say, oh, they're wrestling with their own personal, you mean you believe in, in, in demons? And Oh, no, 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 I don't believe in that stuff. I'm just saying, you know, kind of figuratively, kind of metaphorically. And yet, folks, if we don't believe in Satan, a person is going to have a really hard time believing in a God who saves Now, I want to say that one more time. If you don't believe in Satan, you're going to have a really hard time believing in a God who saves. Because what is it that he's saving us from? If there is no Satan, if there is no hell, if there's not any of the demonic forces, if Paul's not right, if there's not principalities, powers, spiritual forces, and evil places, if there's none of that, then what would God save us from? He's not saving us from sin, death, and Satan because none of those things really exist. But folks, that's not true. Whenever we think about Israel and the amount of conflict that has gone on for thousands of years, it is not about military issues. 
This is not a government problem. This is the fact that there is spiritual battle that has been happening ever since Satan rebelled against God. And Satan is not God's counterpart. Don't ever think that you've got God and Satan. And on the, the measure of the tape, they're all right there. They're both right there together in, in how big they are and how powerful. That's not it at all. Satan is a created being. God is the creator. And so Satan has been rebelling, but they're not equal in any, part, in any way. And so we under, we've got to understand that there is spiritual battle that has been happening ever since Satan rebelled against God. And that spiritual battle is not just around countries or military. That is a spiritual battle that happens to the individual soul. And so every single one of us, there is a spiritual battle going on in your life. Satan wants you to go his way. He wants you to experience the world, the flesh, sin, and all that. And God wants you to go the way of life. Satan has only come to steal, kill, and destroy. And God is offering life. And so, in essence, we can go back to the Old Testament where Joshua said, I set before you this day blessing or cursing, life or death. Choose life that you may live. That's what God is offering us to us today. And we have to understand this spiritual battle happens to the individual soul. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has been making this argument in this final part of chapter 6, his final farewell to the church at Ephesus. He's making this argument about standing against the schemes of the devil. And so, starting in verse 10, we have been working way through. And so, Paul opens Ephesians 6, verse 10, with these words. Look at it with me and listen. Grab a Bible. Please, everyone, open a Bible. Uh, there should be one near you. Go to the very, almost the very back of the Bible. You're going to find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And we've, we started this series in verse 10. Paul writes these words, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he tells us how to do that. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And the reason it has to be the armor of God, not a physical armor, is verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and then he starts t giving us the pieces of armor. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This morning, let's add two more pieces of armor to this. Verse 16 and then the first part of 17. In all circumstances, 
take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. We can't do this without you. Lord, we cannot understand one word of the Bible unless the Holy Spirit enables us to understand. And so, Lord, I pray for that. I pray that our ears, our hearts, our minds would be open to not just hearing from you, but, Lord, that we would be changed today. Father, I pray again for someone today to trust Christ as Savior, to experience the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray for... uh, everyone here, Lord, that we would desire to walk with you, to follow you with all of our heart, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we pray that you would add to us today and that you would call out from us. Lord, I pray that we would desire to live for you and to serve you with all of our heart. And so, Lord, bless this time. Lord, use me for your glory. I pray that that the things that are distracting in me that you would take away from me, Lord, so that I really want people to hear from you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In these pieces of armor, Paul starts with the belt of truth. And just in recap, I want us to remember the belt of truth means a true understanding of who God is and who we are. A true understanding that in the beginning, God created. And a true understanding that I have sinned against a holy God. That is the belt of truth. It is understanding the world in a right way, a biblical, a creator way. And then Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we understood from that that that's not a righteousness of our own. That will never hold up against Satan. But instead, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life and that if by putting your faith in him, he will give you his righteousness. He will give you his perfection and he will take your sin. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Not a righteousness of my own. It's God's righteousness. And then once that righteousness is in me, once I have a changed life, now walking in that righteousness living a life that reflects that I'm living for the Lord and that I love him and I'm following him. That's the breastplate of righteousness. And then Paul says, your feet, make sure that they're shod with the readiness that is given by the gospel of peace. And what that means is I can't stand against Satan until my life, my heart is at peace with God. Until I have come to the understanding that Jesus Christ loves me, that he gave his life for me, and that by putting my faith in him, I can be at peace with God. Now I'm ready to stand against the devil. And also that gospel of peace means that then when I'm ready to stand against the devil, when I'm ready to go into the world, I am not going in order to try to win an argument with people or to put people in their right place. I am going with the gospel of peace. I'm desiring for, to see people to be reconciled with God. All right, so this morning now, we add the next two pieces of the armor. Paul says, in all circumstances... 
take up the shield of faith. And I want you to note, this is the only piece of armor that Paul tells us the effectiveness, what it does for us. It is the only thing that enables us to extinguish the fiery darts, the fiery arrows of Satan. All right? So this morning, let's start with the shield of faith and understand how vital this piece of armor is. In order to do that, we've got to understand what Paul means by the word shield. And let's start there. And if you're thinking, well, I mean, a shield's a shield, a shield. But really, in the word that Paul used, we're going to see that it helps us to understand why it's the shield of faith. All right. So for Roman soldiers, basically, there were three different kinds of shields. But really, there's only two that are, were most common that Roman soldiers used. Okay, the first one would be a smaller, a disc-shaped, almost, almost think a large Frisbee. And in order for me to help you to picture what we're talking about, I always want to use something that will help you to understand. Picture Captain America, all right? That would be a type of Roman shield, a round disc shaped. This would be the type of shield that it was strapped. There were two leather straps. They'd be strapped to the forearm. So a dagger is held in one hand and a shield in the other hand. There is a website where you can purchase an exact replica of Captain America's shield. I just want you to know that. I found it on, the only thing that was disturbing to me is that it was a grown man Holding, I would have expected a boy or a, or a little girl or something, but for $600, you can have Halloween, maybe, going to the state fair, maybe, but it's going to be awkward if you're a grown man and you're walking around with a Captain America shield. All right, so that's, that's one type, but that's not the word that Paul uses here. Paul uses a word that this is the only place in the entire New Testament that you see this word. And it's the word thureon, T-H-U-R-E-O-N. And the word thureon literally means door-shaped. This is the shield that we're talking about. That is the word that Paul uses here. One time in the entire New Testament, he uses it, and it's right here. This is the shield of faith. The first shield, a little one, that's going to protect this part of the body. You can parry with this. It's hand-to-hand combat type thing. That's not what that shield's for. This shield is to protect the soldier from head to toe. It's the shield of faith. And it is the shield of faith that protects us from head to toe. That's why Paul used that word. And then let me show you one other picture. Because we need to understand this as well. This is how it was used. As they're approaching an army uh, or uh, uh, let's say a, a fortified wall and they're, they're coming towards it, the fortified wall, the soldiers there are going to start shooting fiery arrows at the army. They stop. They plant the shield in front of them. They then overlap the shield and it provides a protection not just for an individual soldier but for everyone that's in the company. Friends, it's the same thing with us, the shield of faith. Yes, it is to protect the individual believer, but it is when a church family, each one of us, are taking up the shield of faith that it is a protection for all of us. That any time one of us lets down the shield of faith, then Satan is able to attack. 
So that's the shield that we're talking about. It's a huge shield, door-shaped, and it's the shield of faith. So let's understand then what Paul is meaning there by faith. Paul is meaning the very essence of what it means to be a Christian, which means believing in God who came in the person of Jesus Christ and gave his life for us. That is the faith that Paul's talking about. Folks, we have to understand that the only way you can be saved is not if you attend church enough times or if you give enough money or if you help enough people or if you do enough good things. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul says, take up the shield of faith. That's the only thing that's going to be able to protect you. It is believing God. Now, I want you to listen to how I phrased that just then. Because I started off by talking about believing in God. But it's not just believing in God. It's believing God. Believing that what he says is true. That what God has given us in the word of God, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe that this is God's word. It's believing that what he's done is sufficient. It's believing that who he is is more than enough. It's believing God. That's the shield of faith. And so on part of our trip, my wife and I were walking along with the tour guide. He is an Israeli Jew. His name is Ralph, which was interesting for an Israeli Jew, but that that was his name. His name was Ralph. And so my wife and I are walking along with Ralph, and I just wanted to get to know him a little bit better. And so, hey, Ralph, are you married? Yes, I am married. How long have you been married? 42 years. And so obviously I'm walking there with my wife, so he says to me, how long have you been married? And I said, been married 36 years. And my wife slugged me in the arm right here. It hurt, too. And she said, we have not been married 36 years. We've been married 34 years. And I, okay, June of 20. I said, wait a minute, we've been married 35 years. And she goes, oh, yeah, but I didn't get to slug her in the arm. No, no, ain't be. That ain't happening. Okay, so. We've been married for 35 years. We dated for five years before that. So let's go with 40 years. For 40 years, I'm telling you everything that my wife has said to me for 40 years. Every sentence, every word that's ever come out of her mouth, not once have I ever said to my wife, I don't believe you. Not once. Everything my wife has ever said to me, I have never said to her, I don't believe you. But I have said that to God. Not in so many words, but in so many actions. 
Because every time I sin, in essence, I'm saying to God, I don't believe you. Satan throws a temptation at me. Satan says, oh, this would be the right thing to say. This would be the right thing to do. This would be the right place to go. And God gives me a way of escape and saying, don't go there. My word says if you go there, you will experience trouble. You will be rebelling against God. And I say, God, I don't believe you. And I go that way. And we can stand here all day long and say, oh, no, no. I would never say to God, I don't believe you. Folks, that is the essence of sin. Because God said to Adam, Adam, you are free to eat of every tree in this garden. You can eat of everything, but of this one tree, don't eat of that tree, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And then Satan said to Eve, oh, listen, you're not going to die. You won't die. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite. You're going to know things. You're going to be like God. You'll experience things that you've never experienced before. And so take my path. And what Adam and Eve did was they said, God, we don't believe you. And so friends, please understand every sin since then. At the very bottom of it is us saying, I don't believe you. And so Paul says, when we do that, we are taking down the shield of faith. When we said, God, I don't believe you, we're taking down the shield of faith and the fiery arrows of Satan hit us. But whenever we say, God, I do believe you, I do believe that you are the only God. I do believe in the beginning God created. I do believe that God came to us that he was born of a virgin. He was given the name Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus then died on the cross for my sin. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He ascended back to the Father, and he's coming again. When I believe that, I'm saying, God, I believe you. That is the shield of faith. That's what we're talking about. It's not just believing in God. It is believing God. And now I want you to note at the beginning of verse 16, Paul put a, a little prepositional phrase. He wrote, in all circumstances. And listen, in your translation of Scripture, it may say, uh, and above all, or and add to this. Okay, those are perfectly good translations because it can mean in addition to the belt of truth, in addition to the breastplate of righteousness, in addition to the shoes, uh, and, and add to that the shield of faith. But I want you to know it can also mean in all circumstances. And here's why we need to understand that. It means that when I'm hurt, and when I feel like I can't take another step and I feel like just giving up, instead, take up the shield of faith. Keep trusting God. It means that when someone has wronged you, when someone has hurt you, and you feel like taking revenge against them, instead, take up the shield of faith. It means that when you're suffering, sick, 
with cancer and, and all the things that can go along with life and all the physical ailments that come. Take up the shield of faith. Keep believing God. That's what Paul's talking about here. In all circumstances, no matter what, take up the shield of faith. Lord, I believe. And then Paul says, and the helmet of salvation. And boy, I love this aspect of the armor. Now listen, here's going to be the danger. The danger is going to be, oh, helmet of salvation. That means that at some point you gave your heart to Christ and then nothing else after that. So yeah, I've I've got the helmet of salvation. I'm good there. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That's one aspect, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about the fullness of salvation. He's not talking about just a moment in time. For me, it was when I was 12 years old that I understood that I had sinned against the God who created me. And I deserve to die. And I believe that Jesus died for me. He took my place and I put my faith in him. That was the moment of salvation. That was the point at which I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And for many in here today, you have experienced that. Right, So let's look at the three aspects of salvation. When we talk about the helmet of salvation, we've got to understand the full salvation. And so here's the first aspect, past. There was a point in time at which I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And at that point, at that moment, I had freedom from the penalty of sin. No longer am I under the wrath of God. It does not matter at what point I die. I have given my life to Jesus Christ. I've put my faith in him. I am free from the penalty of sin. It's the word justification. I stand right before God. But friends, listen. Salvation is far more than just a moment in time because there's a present aspect of salvation. Did you know that if you have truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, daily, he is saving you daily. It doesn't mean daily you need to give your heart to Christ again. You need to get saved again. Listen, you only need to do that one time. But every day I'm experiencing the present aspect of salvation, which means every day Jesus Christ is interceding on my behalf. Jesus Christ is standing by me as my advocate defending me. I am free from the power of sin because of the daily work of Jesus Christ in my life. That's the present aspect of salvation. 
And so folks, listen, here's the danger. The danger is whenever we point back to something that happened to us as a kid or as a teenager and we say, well, I gave my life to Christ. Okay, are you experiencing the present daily aspect of Jesus Christ living through you? Are you walking with him? Are you following him? Are you obeying him? And if we say, well, no, I'm not, then what we've got to do is examine our hearts. Were we truly saved? Because there's a past aspect to salvation. I'm justified before God, free from the penalty of sin. There's a present aspect, and we call it sanctification. I am growing in him. Jesus Christ is living through me. He's interceding on my behalf. That's the present aspect. And then praise the Lord, there is a future aspect of salvation. It's glorification. At that point, we will be free from the presence of sin. No more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more mourning. That's the future aspect. Folks, in the present day, we're running the race. We are saved. Jesus Christ is living through us and I'm running the race. But praise the Lord, there is a finish line out there. What if we were told, okay, start running the race. Okay, so how long is the race? Well, it's, you never stop. Oh, that, that'd be miserable. You mean there's never a finish line? No, no finish line, just keep running. But folks, there is a finish line. Jesus Christ is coming back someday. He's coming for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the future aspect of salvation. And so whenever Paul writes and take up the helmet of salvation, he's not just talking about that moment in time when you trusted Christ as Savior. He's talking about the fullness of salvation. He's talking about picturing all of life through the perspective of that full salvation. He means that when we put on the helmet of salvation that I think differently, I see things differently, that I see life through the perspective of salvation. Now listen, hang on to this. Did you know that every single thing you do every day either has a past, a present, or a future aspect to it? Everything we say, everything we do, everything we think has a past, a present, and a future. And so tomorrow, there may be a certain point in the day when Satan hits me with something in my past. And when I have taken up the helmet of salvation, I picture every aspect of life through the perspective of that salvation. And I say to Satan, that has been forgiven. That has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Satan will want us to live in regret. He wants us to live in shame. And what we are to do is take on the helmet of salvation and say, Lord, you have forgiven me of that. That's done. It's buried. It's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then tomorrow, there will be a point at which I'll be talking with someone. And something may happen. Someone may say something that insults. Something may, someone may say something that hurts. How am I supposed to view that situation? I'm supposed to view it through the full perspective of salvation. That right then in that moment, Jesus Christ is saving me. 
He lives in me. And he has given me the power to be free from the power of that sin. And so I'm to understand that in that moment, Lord, you're right here with me. You're interceding on my behalf and I can respond in the way that Jesus Christ would want me to respond because right now he's saving me. And then tomorrow there may be something that will happen and it will cause me to think about, well, I wonder what's going to happen down the line and I start worrying about the future. And I am supposed to view that through the perspective of the helmet of salvation and understand, God, you are coming back someday. You are going to win the battle. And so I don't need to worry about that. You've got this. That is picturing life through the full perspective of salvation. Folks, here's the bottom line of it. Every day, I need to be reminded of my salvation. Every day, I need to be reminded of my salvation. I loved Jeremy uh, Johnson. He preached for us last Sunday, and man, the Lord blessed, worked through him. Jeremy retweeted something, or or he may have been the first one, but, but it was a quote from Paul David Tripp. And, and what Paul Tripp said was, no matter how much you love the Lord, your security is in the magnitude of his love for you. Praise the Lord. I need to be reminded of the gospel every day. I need to be reminded that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I need to understand, Lord, I need you today. And why is it the helmet? Because Satan attacks us in our thoughts. He tries to get us to go back. You're not even saved. He tries to get us to doubt our salvation. He tries to bring up stuff from our past. And Paul is saying, put on, take up the helmet of salvation. Understand that I have been saved. Jesus is saving me right now, and someday he's coming back for me. That is the helmet of salvation. And so a long time ago, Oliver Wendell Holmes almost became even more famous by a certain statement that he made. And and I want you to see this quote. It's faith in something and enthusiasm for something that makes a life worth living. Okay, folks, that's, that's partially true. It's faith in something and enthusiasm for something that makes life worth living. It's almost like the little boy who was playing Little League Baseball, and he said to his mom, we're going to lose this game tonight. And she said, no, 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 son, you've got to be positive. And he said, okay, I'm positive we're going to lose this game tonight. You see, she was wanting to have faith in something. Have faith in faith. 
It was years later then that Oliver Wendell Holmes, who has a son named Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., said this, the greatest act of faith is when a man understands he is not God. In other words, I can't save me. And at that point, whenever you for the first time understand, I can't save me, God calls you to believe in the one who can save you. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus meant in John chapter 14, verse 1, when he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Jesus said, believe also in me. Because friends, when you decide, when you choose, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ, there's the helmet of salvation. And it doesn't just change me for that moment. It changes me for all of eternity. It changes me in my everyday living. It's what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And that's what, that's the invitation. That is the invitation. To take up the shield of faith, Lord, today, I believe. Friend, whether it is on the issue of tithing, giving money to God, whether it is on the issue of marriage, whether it is on the issue of doing the will of God, whatever it is, today I believe God. I believe that what he says is true, that what he's done is sufficient, that what he says is going to happen will happen. I believe. And he'll change you. He will change you. He'll set you free. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that today, if there's someone here who's had faith in something, they've had an enthusiasm for something, Lord, I pray that this would be the day that someone says, Lord, my faith no longer is in something. My faith is in God. I believe Lord, I pray that people would respond to you today, that folks would come. Lord, that people would be praying. Father, I pray for lives to be changed for your name's sake. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.